final time, will you grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians, chapter 6. Today we conclude our sermon series in this precious letter. While you turn there, I will say, it has been a wonderful blessing to see just how much our church has grown in your love for expositional preaching, teaching of God's Word. It's my prayer that our diligent work to preach and teach God's Word is a great blessing to you, to your life, and the life change that God will do in you for His glory and your good for many years to come. Let's read Paul's final words in Ephesians 6, 23-24. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. The last two verses of the letter act as a benediction, which is a pronouncement of blessing of God over a people. This is fitting because Paul opened the letter with a beautiful doxology, which is praise for the glory of God. Let me remind you of a memorable quote of Pastor Sinclair Ferguson speaking about Ephesians in these two bookends. In its opening doxology, blessings cascade down upon the reader. In its closing verse, the smell of the battlefield lies heavily in the air, and through the smoke of war we see Christians. Full cad in the armor of the spiritual warfare still standing. From beginning to end, Ephesians sets before us the wonder of God's grace, the privilege of belonging to the church, and the pattern of life transformation the gospel produces. Amen? It's truly been a joy to see God at work in all of us who have aimed to faithfully and humbly study and submit ourselves to God's Word as we've studied Ephesians. We truly find, as our subheader for our series says, our grace, peace, and power in Him. Paul returns to these mega themes that he's highlighted throughout the letter as he gives this final benediction. What amounts to a threefold summary of the blessings that we receive in Christ alone. The first being peace. Look with me at verse 23. Peace be to the brothers. Oh, how we need True and lasting peace. But what is the peace Paul speaks of that he longs for the brethren to have? Our modern culture's idea of peace is shallow, and in many ways it's very incomplete. For them, peace is just the absence of conflict or war. Or people sometimes think of peace as simply emotional calmness. Essentially, the peace that many hope for is too often just simply circumstantial peace. Meaning our circumstances are working for us and not against us. So I feel at peace. The problem is we all know that our circumstances oftentimes don't go our way. They're not working for us. So many people, many days, are without peace. But this is not the kind of lasting peace that Paul is speaking of that he wants the brethren to have in Christ Jesus said, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give it to you. Here, Jesus is clear to say the peace he brings, the elect, his saved, his redeemed, is different than the peace many people are longing for. 
When Jesus says he's leaving you and I true and lasting peace, he's not saying or promising that he leaves us a life or a world without conflict or struggle or war. He's saying, because of my life, I am giving you a peace, a shalom, a holistic peace that you will enjoy in the midst of life's hard circumstances. Jesus is saying, I am peace. The peace we have in Christ alone is an inner peace, an evenness and calm in the midst of the storms of life. While many pursue peace through drugs, other religions, yoga-like meditations, going to the mountains or to the beach, only those in Christ know true shalom, true peace. You can't have true and lasting peace if you don't know and trust in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Why is this? King David said it so well in Psalm 38, 18. I am full of anxiety because of my sin. Because of our sin, all of mankind, all who remain outside of Christ, don't have the power to not stress, to not worry. Because when we value the things that God has created more than we value God the Creator, we are destined to be let down by those things as they are temporal. And when stuff breaks down, people stress. It's this that is the source of mankind's anxiety. We look to and cling to life in the absence of the one who holds all things in his hands. No wonder why so many people stress. Understand, it is a lacking of trusting in Christ alone that brings stress and worry. Only when we truly trust in Jesus, walk by faith in Christ, cling to Him alone, do we experience real peace. Jesus is the key to this. Remember what Paul said in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For He Himself is our peace. Speaking of Jesus, praise God that true and lasting peace is what Jesus brought His saved saints on the cross. Listen to the prophecy of Isaiah when speaking of Jesus, the coming Messiah. Isaiah 53.5 He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. True and lasting peace is for the redeemed people of God. Those whom Jesus has come to save and set free. This is good news, church. Are you resting in Christ in the midst of the storms? In the midst of the struggles? Are you, or are you giving in to the old self? Are you playing out of the old playbook? and leaning on your flesh and your circumstances for your peace. Nothing compares to Christ alone when it comes to peace. I pray that you know Him and you rest in Him no matter what you're facing. I too pray with Paul, peace be to the brothers. Look with me at what Paul says next. And love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul sends his love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, how we want and need the love of God to be at work in our lives. 
for any other source of love in our life is counterfeit or second rate. Consider the potent moments Paul spoke of God's love for us as people in this very letter. Ephesians chapter 1, 4 through 5. He chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. In love, God predestined us. Meaning, inspired by God's eternal love, our redeemed destiny was decided before creation. For those of us who are His elect, those of us for whom Christ died, we are loved unconditionally before time began. Think about that, Christian. God's love is set on you, not recently, not haphazardly, not because of any of your great performance, Not out of pity for you. Not out of your poor performance. But before we did anything good or bad, before we breathed our first breath, before all creation was made, God set out to destine us to salvation, to be part of His eternal family. Oh, how loved by Him we are. In chapter 2, Paul spoke of this in verse 4 and 5. Ephesians 2, 4, and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. What is so amazing about God's love for us is that when we slow to really consider how absolutely deplorable our sin was, our condition, rightly, fully deserving His judgment and His wrath. Our salvation was not a turning or a doing of our own. No, it was of God alone. It was not of us. But it could not have been of us. We were unable. We were enslaved. We were dead in our sin. Dead people don't resurrect themselves unless their name is Jesus, God the Son. Also, it was not others who saved us. No no one else saved us, for they could not offer what was necessary. They could not revive us or remove our guilt and sin. No, only God could do this. The good news is that while we would have been completely, God would have been completely 100% right and just to just wipe us out, convict, condemn every one of us because of our sin, He chose not to. Instead of righteous wrath to be poured out on all, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit chose in love to pour out mercy on many of us undeserving sinners. I love Paul's word choice here. In Ephesians 2, when he says, but God. These words need to knock us over, church. Oh, how absolutely dead and utterly desperate we are in our sin. For the only one who could save us and deliver us, choose us, he did. The story of mankind should equal all of us drowning in our sin, in our despair, slipping away to our deserved ruin. Consumed by our enemies. Enemies in the form of others. Enemies in the form of lies and deceptions 
in the form of mental sorrow, physical sickness, but God. Amen? I want us to feel the weight of our condition and see that no one owed us anything, especially God. He didn't owe us. His wrath is worthy to be praised as much as His love. His wrath is right. It's just on the guilty. But His love goes to work on the elect. Oh, how He loved us. He put His love upon us. You must know, church, how loved you are by God. Listen to these words in 1 John. Let them sink in and take over your life. 1 John 4, 9-10 In this the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world, so that we might live through Him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation for our sins. To know real love, you must know God. To know God, you must be spiritually awakened by God. It will cause you to respond with repentance from sin and true and utter submission to Him for all of life. If you've not done this, if you have compartmentalized your life, and there's these things that you surrender to God and His Word, but there's other things that you hold on to. No, this, I'm going to do this one my way. I, I, I'm not ready to give this up. Or, or I have a fixed view of how I think this should happen. That we would surrender, submit all of our lives to Him to confess that as sin and to allow the Lord Jesus to truly be the Lord of our lives. That I belong to Him in every way. Church, while we were enemies, while we played on the enemy's team, all the while acting like enemies, fighting for the enemy, God loved you. God's eternal and perfect love was always on you the entire time. So when we read, because of the great love with which He loved us, this is a special and definite love that He has for individual people of His eternal choosing. Church, this is good news. Let it be good news to your soul. The amazing love of God at work in the most amazing and gracious way. Ephesians 6, 23. Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus. And finally, verse 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus with love incorruptible. The word grace largely summarizes Paul's focus for his hearers in the whole first half of this letter. It is so important to Paul that his brothers and sisters in Christ rightly understand God's grace. Church, we must as well. If we miss the full measure of God's grace, we miss the power of the gospel and the wonder of what God has done and who we are in Him. Let me remind us of the glorious foundational truths of grace. A simple definition of grace is unmerited favor or an undeserved gift given by an unobligated giver. God's Word shows us the amazing gift that God has given to us, His elect, is salvation for our sin. Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift from God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. The Word of Truth Catechism tells us that saving grace is God's love, forgiveness, redemption, freely and effectively given in Jesus to the elect who are undeserving of this. God is not obligated to give His saving grace. 
His obligation for our sin is justice, judgment, and wrath. And we are not deserving to receive His saving grace. Again, we deserve in our sin His judgment and His wrath. The Bible does not approach the subject of saving grace from the perspective that everyone is entitled to a chance at heaven, like much of our modern society, and sadly many churches speak of it. Especially as Americans, we struggle with this. Why? Because we live in a democratic system. Democracy makes for a wonderful system of government. Everyone has a vote. Everyone is equal before the law. And that it is to be orderly and fair Equal chance to participate in the process. This is indeed a good thing when it's working correctly. God, however, is not democratic. And he does not operate according to American democratic ideals. What everyone here must understand is as soon as you introduce a doctrine of fairness, we introduce a standard of right by which God has to save all or at least give all an equal chance of being saved. And if you believe that, you do not understand or believe in grace because it's redefined. What is truly fair for the holy and righteous God is to render judgment of a verdict of guilty on unrepentant sinners. It is grace that is unfair. Praise God, though, His saving grace is just. Because of Christ and His substitutionary work on our behalf, God's justice is satisfied. This is why true saving grace is dependent on Christ alone. The problem today is that large numbers of people and even large numbers of quote-unquote evangelicals ignorantly or arrogantly undermine and effectively destroy the doctrine of God's saving grace by supposing that human beings are basically good, capable of making good God-honoring choices apart from God's gracious intervention. If God were obligated to be gracious, grace would no longer be grace. Salvation would be based on human merit rather than based on God's grace alone. To add anything to grace is to deny grace altogether. This is Paul's point in Romans 11.6. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works, otherwise grace would no longer be grace. The Scriptures are clear that men and women are sinful by nature, cannot do anything to save themselves, or even prepare themselves to be saved. The Scriptures are equally clear that it is God who saves by grace alone, through faith alone, on account of Christ alone. This means that it is God who acts first upon the sinner, while the sinner is dead in sin. The good news, church, hear it today, is while sinners do not seek God, God seeks and saves sinners. He does this by His saving grace. If you know me at all, if you've received emails from me, You've seen our Disciples Church t-shirts. You've seen the phrase, by His grace and for His glory. I truly feel that we who are saved by Christ, who belong to God, 
we must see that all of our life, everything we do, everything we say, everything we're able to do is by God's grace. And it is to be done for God's glory. We have nothing without the grace of God. Ephesians 6, 24. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. Paul agrees. And so he starts and finishes his letter praying that the amazing grace of God be at work and the foundation for all we do who love our good Lord Jesus Christ with the perfect and incorruptible love of God at work in and through us. What is amazing is, and we heard it today in so many testimonies, look at what God has done. Not look at what I've done and my efforts, my pursuits led, led to not good things. But look at what God has done. Look at, look at transformation. Look at salvation. New beginning in Christ alone. Church, it has truly been an amazing experience to preach this letter to you over the last 76 sermons. I am thankful for your desire to grow in God's good truths. There was a day not very long ago when leadership would have discussion. Can we handle this pace of expository preaching? That keeping up with the modern church meant keeping things moving. You can handle it. And it's, and it's working. And it's growing us. I'm thankful that you long to not just be hearers, but doers of the word. That, that, that you want to be loved enough to be told things that are hard. That you want to, you want to be moved, not left where you are. You're not looking to stay the way you are. You're looking to be radically matured in Christ in all things. May we never lose that. Until he takes us home. I'll just share, I didn't plan to show this, but it's one of the things I really loved about sitting with Elaine and Jay in our elder interview. Again, in a later season of life, it's not like, hey, we figured it all out. This is a great spot. We're going to ride to the sunset here. No, they're saying, we're excited to be here to grow, to mature, to be used by God. I love that. I want us all to stay there, stay hungry for God's word. Diving in, saying, Lord, move me. Take me where I need to go. And so, Christian, I join Paul in praying that you know the peace of God, the love of God, because of the amazing grace of God, and that it truly changes and motivates your life all the days that He ordains for you until He takes us home. Amen? Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this journey through this letter. Six chapters. 
so many wonderful truths to spark, to motivate, to convict, to shape, to breathe new life. God, we are thankful for the written word in our language, the opportunity to study it, the opportunity to know you because of your grace, that we really would know and walk in your love, that we would know and walk in the peace that we have in Christ, that the light of Christ would be brightening through us in the days that you ordained for us. Lord, as we conclude our service this morning with this last praise song, Lord, be exalted, be magnified, and send us forth for all that we do in your holy name. Because of Christ we pray.